Hello and welcome to episode 193 of NCP. My name is David, and with me for this episode I have Crystal. Hello. And we would normally have Bo, but we don't actually have Bo today. He's uh, he's working for the man. Oh, he's yeah. sold out, man. He's, well, he's, when you when your boss says, "Can you do this shit for me?" You you got to do the shit. It is, it is what it is. So no <laughs> bar. It's a bit it's disappointing. But instead, we do have very special guest, Les Morris. Oh, thank you. I'll um, try to disprove how special I actually am. <laughs> I've been I've been like hankering to get you on the show it, for like seriously. It's been like a year. I find this bizarre <laughs> just because <laughs> I like um. I guess should I introduce myself? Yeah, you? please. It, it does tell tell the listeners who, who you are and uh, why Aussie. So we going to get you on. I guess I'm the uh, marketing manager of Bounty Films, uh, and I guess, you know, if you don't work in the film industry, it seems very kind of mysterious and kind of, you know, intriguing, but it's not. <laughs> like, I, I go to a job where I have to use Windows 7 on my computer. There's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of emails, you see. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> mostly emailing and getting angry at people and going, oh my goodness, why don't they do this? Oh, you're, talk, you're talking it down, but it really, yeah. it sounds... It actually is, uh, it sounds like it's just awesome. I mean, you get to meet all these amazing people. Um, yeah, like, it's, well, uh, I guess I should explain what my, yeah. what I actually do. Yeah. Uh, basically, I do two things. Um, I get, basically, films ready for market after we acquire them. So maybe I author the DVD, send their wave to Blu-ray to get authoring, yeah. um, you know, upload stuff to VOD, and then I do all the marketing that comes with it. Uh, so sometimes I, I get a film where I can literally do nothing with it. And I don't know if you've ever got this email, but I've given like other journalists I know. I go, this film shit. <laughs> can, can you can you do a token interview for me, please? Uh, not mentioned in any any particular film. Yeah, but yeah. There was. Oh, like, yeah, like, no, there was one you were like, we were like. I, I file, I, you, you sent me a film to do. I don't want to name it, but you sent yeah. me a film, and you're like, "Can you can you sort of yeah. do this?" And I was like, "Yep." Yeah. And then after you actually didn't hadn't even seen it yet, and then yeah. you eventually saw it, and you're yeah. like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that guy was actually awesome, though. The guy yeah. I, because I remember which one it was. Yeah. Um, it was actually not a bad film. Why do you think it was so bad? Oh, just because it didn't have a plot. <laughs> it was. That's true. It didn't it's okay. I don't work for that company anymore. <laughs> but let's be uh, tasteful and yeah. not mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's just this mad rush of, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. But then some mornings you find yourself taped to the bottom of your friend while you're shooting an iTunes promo for the Human Centipede 3 <laughs> with Lawrence from, like, part two and three in a warehouse in Brunswick. And how awesome is that? Yeah, and it, it was awesome <laughs> and very cold because I was in my underpants. And uh, my good friend Kate, who I used to work with when I was a social worker, I let her be the front of the centipede because, uh, you know... That's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... And, um... Yeah, so it's a job of great contrast and, um... The other day, I got to ring up Freddy Krueger at his home phone. I know. Because he's, um... How amazing. I know. And he is just like... A, like and, like, he's just a completely normal dude. Because I rang up once, didn't leave a message, rang back, and it was like, oh, sorry, I thought you were a telemarketer. It's like, oh, my goodness, you're Freddy Krueger. You have to deal with telemarketers? <laughs> 
So I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, no matter where you are at life, people are <laughs> all the same. Actually, it would be awesome fun if you were Freddy Krueger and a telemarketer rang up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should do the Freddy voice. Yeah. yeah. Very cool again. And also, I probably should point out, I, I always have a habit of never actually referring to actors by their name. I'm always constantly, oh, Doctor Who is in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that narrows it down. You also got to meet, um, what, what was the gentleman's name? It is like a, like a classic Australian actor. Oh, Roger Ward. Yeah, Roger Ward. Oh, Roger Ward's my buddy now. That's great. Um, That's amazing. uh, Because that's... It's a whole other story. That's for a side project. Uh, Me and my friend are restoring Australia's first queer film uh, called The Set. It was was released in 1970 uh, and was a huge national controversy beyond belief. It it was front page news for over a year. Uh, And like it's... like going to be completely honest, the film is average. It's not bad. It's not a classic. It's just very average. It goes for about 50 minutes too long. But uh, what's incredible about it is it was the first Australian film to have a sex scene. It was the first Australian film to show an orgasm, and it's about two bisexual characters who are in a relationship, and the genius of the film is um, people treat the relationship absolutely normally. It treats homosexual relationships on the same levels as heterosexual relationships. And um, there's a character who, a female character, uh, she has a relationship with a girl, and, like, you know, I think up until recently in cinema... Women couldn't have a sexuality. If you watch a lot of, like, an 80s teen film, the girl that gets with the boy at the party at the start of the film never ends up with the guy at the end of the film, yeah. uh, which is a really horrible thing in cinema in general. But, yeah, the set was, like, sexuality was even. Everyone's even, you know, and there's a variety of performances. Um, so so Roger Ward, who's Australia's iconic tough guy, uh, who's in Mad Max, uh, he's in Turkey Shoot, wrote this film because he's just such a lovely salt-to-the-earth kind of guy. wrote it. I didn't know that. It was wow. based on his novel, and he wrote the screenplay. Wow. And being like a normal dude, he was like, well, you know, I know... You know, I know bi guys. I know gay guys. It's like... Yeah. I, I, and he wrote this novel that... Um, it was about Australian sexuality in general and the changing nature and, you know, parts are about the pill and stuff like that. And he just being a solely other dude, he was like, well, I can't, I can't see anything that's controversial about this. And, oh my goodness, how wrong he was. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. So tell us some other sort of work that you do for uh, Bounty and, and stuff like that. Well, um, so to go back, yeah. so I do all the physical bits and bobs to get stuff to market, and cool. then I do publicity, cool. um, but we're on the verge, and I don't know if I should talk about this, of rebranding Bounty itself, because, you know, um, marketing has a lot to do with getting people excited and getting people to feel and getting, you know, invoking something inside someone. Okay. Um, and, you know, Bounty is a brand. You say it and it's like it's just a word that, you know, just kind of falls <laughs> out of your mouth and on the floor. Yeah. So. But, see, unlike, you know, there's a film called Robo Geisha, and when you say that, I know. <laughs> like, in my heart, it's like, oh my goodness, yes. We're releasing Which a is film, a cool film. But we're releasing a film called Blood Punch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what the word blood punch has to do with the film, but you hear the word blood punch and yeah. you're like, it makes me feel something. So we're in the process of, of rebanding Brandy to be a little bit more of a, like a brand that deals more with sci-fi and horror 
And uh, we're just toying around with it, and maybe it's could be called multiverse media or something like that, or blaster. But you know, a lot of my, as I said before, a lot of marketing has to do with feelings and emotion and just invoking something. And you either can do it organically or you can just throw a lot of money <laughs> at it and hope it works. Uh, and sure. I'm in the position where I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> and so, yeah, like really, just uh, my digital <laughs> is very boring. <laughs> It's you, not, it doesn't sound boring at all, dude. Yeah. Well, uh, apart from <laughs> the, the other side of the fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. did say Windows 7. Oh, yeah, my goodness. It's not the wrong Windows 7. Where, where does Windows hatred suddenly come from? <laughs> yeah. All right, so you also work with Filmlink? Oh, uh, yeah, I do. No, Filmlink, uh, which for it is coming up to its 20th anniversary. Mm. Um, Australia's best print magazine, unless my friend David from Empire is listening. <laughs> um, it is an excellent magazine. We'll just go. We'll just say that they've just ceased the magazine. I don't know if they're doing one more if it's completely online, just because there's no market for it anymore. Uh, really? But it's really quite exciting because right. they they're going to be doing a lot of different things. They're doing a lot of screenings. They're doing yeah. a lot of um, you know Q and As. And we're about to launch a podcast. We're launching it next Friday. I really should know who the first guest is <laughs> because I still have to edit the interview. Um, and the podcast is called um, Filming's Five Favourite Films. Oh, no, no. It's Films That Changed My Life. Films I think, That Changed My Life, yeah. Yeah, and which they used to do in the print magazine and then they do on the website. And I guess... And Dov, who runs the magazine, he I love Dov. I just have great things to say about him because he's just such a... In any industry, it's very hard to find people that you think are genuine yes. and that want nothing more than you, than your friendship, and to kind of be honest with you. Yeah. And Dov is this guy, and Dov is truly an unsung hero of the Australian film industry, just mm. because he's spotlighted. He's been spotlighting Australian films for twenty years now, and yeah. you know, giving people chances that you know other places wouldn't. Um, I love them because of their, 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 yeah, their massive focus on Australian cinema. Yeah. Just how much they just champion Australian cinema when, you know, when it's appropriate. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so we're doing the podcast, and mm. it's not about film criticism at all. Like, we've done a few... We've recorded probably about eight, mm. and the first couple of people didn't quite get it. And it's like, no, we don't want, we don't want to hear you talk about Jaws. Mm. We, we want to understand, uh, you know, while it is about film... It's actually about passion and drive and love and, you know, tell us the stories of when you first saw Jaws. Who was there? How did you see it? How did it change your life? How was it meaningful for you on any level? Uh, and it's really interesting. Like, uh, we've got, like, a couple of really good interviews coming up. Uh, the second one's going to be with Merrick Watts. And his selection awesome. of films, are, like, when you when you hear hear them at the end, it perfectly reflects who he is. Wow. Um, and, like, my favourite episodes are the ones where people don't feel the need to go, oh, my favourite films are Deliverance. One, yeah. one Flew Over the Cougar Nets. Yeah. There's one episode where this woman just spends 90% of it talking about friends. And it's like, no, that's great. That's, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's passion. That's real. That's honest, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of what we want the podcast to be about. Um, and, yeah, you know, they do screenings, and I sent you, sent yeah. you up with the screener for observance. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're a real champion of Australian films and getting Australian films released theatrically, hmm. at least for a little bit. Yeah, because observance was, was released overseas and hadn't even had an Australian yep. release until these guys 
you know, really championed it. And, yeah, well, you know, I'll get to that. We'll get, we'll get, notes. <laughs> we'll get yeah. to that. Um, you also work uh, with the guys at Creature Feature podcast, yes. which is one of my favourite podcasts. Yes, we've taken a bit of a break, yeah. um, but the idea of Creature Feature is that it's an old-timey, late-night uh, Creature Feature show, and we've got Dr. Grimm introducing the show, and when yeah. he and you know he's got skits, to, you know, that relate to the show. But when he goes to the movie, it's me, Sean, and um, Paul talking. And I guess, I guess the appeal for me is basically, and maybe this has to do with like how my brain works. I um, I'm dyslexic, so I love grey problems in which there's no clear answers. Right. That's the part of my brains that go, "Oh my goodness, I'm in love." So what we essentially do is uh, we research quite thoroughly films that have never been researched, right. <laughs> and um, you know, and the start of the show, I usually have this long spill talking about the history and production of the films, and essentially, you know, trying to find information out of nowhere. Oh, where do you find half this information? I don't know, but <laughs> every time I almost have a heart attack and want to quit <laughs> and feel like crying. <laughs> Um, Some of it's awesome. So, yeah, so you deal with uh, yeah, yeah, B-movie yeah. Yeah, classics. Oh, classics <laughs> spelt S-I-C-K. <laughs> like, <laughs> Come on, some of them are actually pretty good. Some, yeah. some, some of them are surprisingly good. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I quite like, uh, you did your... And uh, I, I enjoy your <laughs> for what it is. Rip I, mean, I, I think my favorite uh, episode was Robot Monster, yeah. which I'm really proud of that because I think we literally have the best research document on the face of the earth about Robot Monster. Yeah, that's what I like about it. Just kind of having a massive information and trying to find it and put together. I love Robot Monster. It's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome in its terribleness. Yeah. I'm a big fan of bad, you know, bad films, like air yeah. quotes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, you... So, yeah, we're currently on break, but, um, yeah. and like, I don't know, like, occasionally, you know, we're, like, I, I hope we hit that nice balance between making a little bit of fun of the film yeah. but you know you don't want to be too snippy because what's the fucking point it's like yeah. beating up on a disabled kid it's like oh you're so good you're so great but at the same time when you do spend a month researching <laughs> yeah. it you know you kind of have to get a little bit out no, I, I, think it's, I think it's a great show like yeah. I said, it's one of my favourite and uh, I just I think all three personalities yeah you all, you all gel Quite well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you know, you're the researcher. Yeah, um, the other gentleman is the straight man. Sean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sean's the straight man, um, and Paul's uh, and Paul's the <laughs> he's a bit snippy. Gets the, 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 the gets the one that gets drunk and hates, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hates on stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, sometimes does a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Sean is he's an, a nice of a guy in real life as he seems on the show. Ooh. He's just that kind of you know he you want him to be a neighbor. Yeah. Uh, and Paul's great strength is his um, father used to own drive-in cinemas, so he's got mm. this crazy knowledge of, you know, how cinemas used to work and can kind of bring that finite detail into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, so we're currently on break, but we're kind of going to get yeah. back onto it soon. Well, I highly recommend you check it out. Check it out. It's a Creature Feature podcast. When, you know, they've got the, the back list. Check yeah. it out. And uh, the upcoming uh, filming is films that changed my life. Yes. Yes. Um... And you can probably best place we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Yeah. So both podcasts, I think. So yeah. Yeah. You've heard of iTunes? 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty I, sure I've heard about you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think people know how to get podcasts now, so I don't know if <laughs> <laughs> we're actually not on Stitcher, which is uh, what? I don't. Know. I don't know. That's quite. Someone said the same thing to me just last week. They were like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah. Stitcher wasn't really a thing when we started. Yeah, that's true. We've been around for a while. Um, so, one of the one of the other reasons I wanted to get yeah. you on is uh, not just because I think you're cool, but as your just your you just extreme knowledge of Australian film and the industry yeah. and things like that <laughs> and. Uh, and you want to, so we wanted to talk about um, why. It's better like I posited a question: Why do why do Australia get things late? Well, and researching it, you sort of went above and beyond. Yeah, initially we were. That was the starting point, yeah. and it's it's quite a complex issue. Hmm. And the short answer is: We're just too small for anyone to care. Um, I refuse to accept that. Yeah, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, <laughs> And uh, when thinking about it, I worked out, like, the bigger issue is piracy. So I think it's probably good to talk about piracy in Australia mm. and how it affects the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, because of Pirate Bay, people think it's absolutely feasible that a film should be available digitally within 24 hours of its release. Um, and it can be, but... Probably not in any way anyone can make money. What about the new uh, the new uh, VOD service, the the screening room? That's great. Um, that's uh, you can get theatrical films for like I think fifty dollars. Yeah, fifty dollars. Yeah. If you've got kids, my goodness, that's great. incredible. Yeah. Um, but I can't see it really appealing to many people past you know. I don't think it's really gonna it's gonna work for sort of cinephiles. I mean, people who actually enjoy going to the cinema, but yeah, but yeah, but a family. Oh, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Yeah, you know, they'll watch uh, Minions for 24 hours straight, or uh, yeah. I don't know, what are kids films? What do kids watch? <laughs> Surely from Dreaming? Surely, what? <laughs> Surely you can name some kids films. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, piracy, for sure, is an issue. And in Australia, so there's a lot of debates about it, and the problem with Australia, we make it so inaccessible to actually stream media. Yeah people think it's okay. So I, I guess what I want to do is kind of talk about how films are sold, how films are make money, so people can see it in a bigger picture. And, like, once again, like, I'm no expert. Like, I work in the I industry, just said you so... were an expert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You're an expert. Yeah. Or oh, what, <laughs> what I'm trying to say, like, I'm willing to be wrong. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, because, you know, it's just one person's opinion. I okay. think it's maybe slightly more educated than the average internet comment. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I, I guess also kind of want to say it's like I, I don't want to get trapped into thinking what I'm about to say this is the way it's always going to be and this is the way it should be mm. it's just how I see the industry working and it needs to fundamentally change or there's going to be a huge problem yeah. coming up particularly if you like diversity and <laughs> if you like you know interesting and unique films Okay, so, um, and maybe, so I'm not ranting, how, how do you say, say you've made a film, say yeah. the budget's $10,000, mm. how, does, how does it make money? What's your first step? Uh, I would try to get it into a film festival of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Get a bit be, of exposure. Yeah. I'd be emailing you. every single person I knew, i.e. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know, that's about I don't know, I'd probably try to get it distributed in some way. Okay. Special um, release Blu-ray. Oh, jeez. 
Well, two questions. Do you, do you want to make money or <laughs> want to live in? Well, I have, I have absolutely no idea. Okay. Um, and so that's that's why I'm here. Yeah. But I want to make it interactive. So it's just fest. not like... Blah, blah, there you blah, go. Blah. Yeah, that's not a thing anymore. That, oh, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. And it needs to be a short film. <laughs> the day Tropfest died, people went... Oh, oh yeah. well. Whatever. <laughs> um, well, Sam Worthington was the last guest judge they had, and that was pretty much the indication for you. <laughs> Yeah. This is an anti-Sam Worthington house. Oh, really? Yeah. I had a friend that worked with them all... Uh, like, he worked in the Mel Gibson uh, broke back, Broken Back Ridge. Yeah. Hung out with them all day. He said he was incredible. And really? My, fr- my friend was just a kick, sh- kick shitter extra. He was... Yeah. All right, well, and I'm, Sam was I'm willing, like... I'm willing to accept that he might be a nice guy, but he's just... The charisma is yeah. zero on screen. That's what, basically what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, as a, like, yeah, he was willing to talk to my mate who's no one. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I've misjudged. Um, so, okay, right. so, say, hypothetically, say your film's $10,000, you have to get, well, you can probably make, get a distribution deal in your own country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you've got a horror film, take it to Monster Pictures, take the umbrella. Mm. But if you want to sell it internationally, you need a sales agent. Um, right. So say the budget, as I said before, is ten thousand dollars. What kind of ma- money do you want to make? Like how at much? Least, at least the ten thousand back. Okay. So uh, what happens then? The sales agents they go to festivals and they try to sell the film. Now the biggest market in the world is the U.S. So say Sundance. No, the biggest, like you know, market people buy films. Yeah. So you get it to Sundance. So is, is that your? Oh to? no no no. Well. Like, in film festivals, they also have film markets. Film markets yeah. are an actual place where people have stands and people come and buy the licenses for films for different regions. Wow, really? Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very kind of... I just assumed the wine scenes just showed up and handed over a check. <laughs> I didn't realise it was actually, like, a well, convention-type thing you had to go to. Yeah, but they're also connected because they show films up, films as well, so sometimes there's deals afterwards. I don't know, I've actually never been to one. Um... <laughs> So the biggest market in the world is the US. So your yes. sales agents are hypothetically will try to get you make most of that money in the US. Yes. So if it's ten grand, say hypothetically, they get you a minimum guarantee. So money up front, say they get six grand from the US, a grand from the UK, a grand from uh, Japan, a grand from Germany, and a grand from Australia. So that's ten thousand dollars. Yes. Is it? Yeah. Basic math. Yes. So what happens then? The US more often will not will go. Well, you know, we're going to release this film. We've paid the most amount of money for it. Uh, we want all other territories to wait a couple of months so we can make the maximum money from yes. it. And because it's the biggest territory in the world, everyone has to just go. Okay, and usually, you know, that's sometimes the sales agent will tell you that. Um, so it gets released in the US. Goes up in Pirate Bay. Uh, Twenty four hours later, it's downloaded all over the world, and people are like, "Well, why can't I get it the next fucking day? Like, <laughs> yeah. what's going on?" And it's like, "Well, you know, the U.S. You know, that's where all the money is, and people want to get their money back." So, I, so then what happens? The distributors they have to make their money back, and then when the film goes into profit, a small percentage goes to the sales agents. And actually, this part I actually don't really know because I actually don't really deal with contracts. Mm. I'm guessing the sales agent takes probably the biggest slice, and then the filmmaker takes the smaller slice. So you've mm. got a big bit of pie, most of it goes to the distributor, then you've got a smaller bit of, most of that goes to the sales agent, then the tiny bit goes to the distributor. And say if you've got an investor, then you've got an agreement with them going, well, what are you, 50-50 on profits, or do you have to pay out the investor? Mm. So 
how much out of the ten grand you're aiming for, how much money of that are you actually seeing? Uh, judging from what you just said, uh, maybe five hundred bucks. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is the thing: you have to, if you actually want to be a good business person, you have to get as much money as humanly possible if yeah. you ever want to pay back your investor if you ever kind of want to get more if you ever want to make that next film and to show that you're a good bet yes um because yeah you you know you'll only end up with a little trickle of money back and once again i don't want to be this person back in the noughties back <laughs> 10 years ago a couple of you just said that word <laughs> yeah back when we had a dvd rental industry yes that's where all the money was made and once again i don't want to be this person that was like back in the day it was better yeah because you know i hate nostalgia i think nostalgia is actually very toxic and i constantly like the future but the reality is um any film like how many video stores did we have back 10, 15 yeah, years ago. Ridiculous. We had thousands. You sell one DVD at $20 a pop to every store, which was feasible. Mm. You've made a profit. You've made overtures. You've made money back to the filmmakers. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and uh, I guess the films I'm talking about are the kind of the lower end genre stuff because that's what I deal with. I'm not talking... This rant isn't in relation to big Hollywood films because, you know... It's a whole, I, diff- I, whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't deal with them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was this bubbling market, and it was stuff like, you know, back in the day, we would rent 10 movies for $10. So it's like I would never rent the latest Jim Wynorski film, new release. But when it was in that kind of 10 for $10, I would get it. So in our minds, those kind of genre fair films had a value of $1. Yes. So it wasn't a great investment. So if it was crap, oh, who cares? So then um, when the world kind of got really good at piracy, in our minds, mentally, we think, well, this Jim Minorsky film used to cost $1. What's the difference between $1 and nothing? Yeah. So the, the step to pirate it was virtually nothing. Right. But you would never go up to a cinema. You would never go up to, uh, you know, the cinema playing um, Civil War going, oh, can I see it for free? Yeah. Because in your mind, that's just <laughs> outrageous and rude. But to download like a weekly genre fair film, yeah, that's that's okay. It's perfectly acceptable, yeah. So okay, so I think you get where I'm going. Okay, I get where you're going. This whole uh, rental market, the ass fell out of it. That's how, like, you know, that's was the stable money people were making, and obviously people sold DVDs on top of that. Um, so we hit this kind of crisis, crisis zone because it's like, yeah, like that market doesn't exist anymore. So what happens to these kind of genre films? Mm. Um, and I kind of, I'm going to get sidetracked. <laughs> um, other things that help decline DVD, uh, is because, you know, re- remember when DVD first came out, you're going like, yeah. Oh my goodness, all these extra features. Yeah. It was the first time that people like us could see behind the veil of Hollywood. Commentaries. I know. <laughs> Amazing. They were incredible and extras, and it was the first time you kind of got to learn how Hollywood worked. Mm. So, and you know, and when DVD first came out, people were buying a medium. I don't think they were particularly buying the film. They kind of got lost in the trays of all these other things that came with it. Yeah, well, I know for a fact I was buying movies that I'd seen a billion times purely for the extras. Yeah. Okay. So what happens? <laughs> late uh, two thousand eight, people started screaming, but then what also becomes huge? Yeah. Social media. Yes. Every day, you know, I know what James Franco's Nen looks like yeah. because he posted a picture of it the other day. <laughs> so the allure of extra features 
just didn't seem as great because, you know, people, you know, these people are on podcasts now, they're on YouTube, they're everywhere. So it just kind of was like, well, you know, I can stream the film, the extra film features mean nothing. Oh, why, why do I need this DVD? Mm. Um, but you, you, you kind of, kind of, because you need to buy this DVD because people need to make money. That's right. <laughs> you, you know, the, you know, people got bills to pay. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's like so, you know, and it's not even like you have, you have to think about this. Like the sales agent needs to make money, but the accountant who works for the sales agent that has a mortgage and has two kids. You know, your piracy is directly affecting that person who doesn't, you know, they're an accountant. They, yeah. don't, they don't really care about films. They're just turning up to their work. Maybe they do like films, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So what happened? So kind of DVDs just didn't feel new or fresh or a thing you should get anymore. So the medium budget film kind of died out. Like you remember in the eighty, I mean the nineties, there was a lot of kind of indie comedies, and you yeah. know, like little independent films could get huge releases. You don't really see those films anymore, and you know there used to be a lot of more kind of police procedurals and like courtroom dramas, and more like one genre of film that's completely died is more so like the adult drama, uh, because. Well, you know, the rental market would make, you know, maybe they're not so flashy that they could get a theatrical release, but they would make money back on home entertainment, which they can't anymore. So they stopped making it. And the cinema, they basically had to decide they have to go big or go home. Uh, And the cinema at this point was dealing with other things because, you know, the video game industry just sprung up and was amazing. And the cinema stopped being the premium, the optimum in entertainment. It kind of fell down a bit. So the cinema was like, well, you know, now we have to start making these films with crazy budgets that you have to see at the cinema that won't translate at home. Um, And, you know, we can see now that's just getting out of control and out of control and out of control. But also, like, what else are they going to do? This is actually exactly what the cinema did in the 50s when TV started taking money away from them. They, you know... 3D showed up. Yeah, and widescreen in different formats and colour. And, you know, so it's actually... it's, It's kind of interesting as much as things changed it's not really and you know in the late um noughties 3D (laughs) yeah came back and it was popular in the 50s that's kind of funny how at both points yeah although Uh, we we, no one's uh, no one's recreated the tingler which is a shame yeah that would have been awesome it's a horror film it's a horror film where uh what they did is they actually wired up the seats of the cinemas themselves. So when yeah. certain things happened on screen, you'd actually get electric shocks through your chair. Yeah, I'm aware of that. I'm just saying, no, that Oh, okay, no, sorry. Don't, don't, bring, don't bring that back. <laughs> that was the awesome. The way to get it out, to kill it or get it out of you had yeah. to scream. Yeah, to scream, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To scream the loudest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, that's yeah. brilliant. I'm not a screamer. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> okay, so um, the ass fell out of the industry. And... <laughs> So places like Netflix and what, like, I'm going to sound like I'm anti-Netflix, I'm not. And Netflix kind of came along and said, so, uh, you're making no money for these films. Uh, do you want a little bit of money? Yeah. And we do mean little. Yeah. And then people went, okay, sure. What are you, you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? And it's not, it, it, like, it's Netflix being smart. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, like. So just to clarify, you're not anti-Netflix. No, like. Yeah. No, 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 but they've kind of come in, and you you would think the money... And once again, I'm talking to lower-budgeted genre films. It's the films I deal with. The license for a couple of years would make you cry. (laughs) (laughs) 
But, like, and also I'm not saying that, like, no one's thinking the film industry should go back to the rental boom and making those numbers anymore. That's never going to happen. But, fuck, we just need to make a little bit more money. So, yeah, Netflix has come in and and other services as well. It's like, oh, you want a couple of bucks? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so what's the problem with this? Like, medium budget films kind of don't get made. But, um,. They've actually kind of went to television, interesting enough. Mm. And television got really interesting and progressive because everything on TV is kind of medium budget anyway. Mm. So, um, so okay, what's the problem? Say a bunch of medium to small distributors in Australia goes out of business. What's going to happen? Like films like Babadook, Sony didn't release that. Right. Universal didn't release that. Umbrella released that. Yes. A local medium distributor. Um, when Human Centipede 1, 2, and 3 released, MGM didn't bring those out. It was Monster Pictures, and they toured it around Australia. Um, so if all these smaller guys who rely on these kind of smaller genre films, you know, release a bunch a month, and, you know, they'll all bring back a trickle of money, and hopefully we'll all stay employed. If they go out of business, you won't get this diversity, particularly in Australian cinema, yep. or in cinema in general, Um but with the Babadook, Umbrella released it theatrically, and Australia went, ah, oh, fucking, it's only the greatest horror film Australia's ever produced. Uh, we, how about we won't get interested until the US tell yeah. us it, tells us it's that okay. Good. And that's the same thing that happened to Observance, but we've got a weird relationship to, to our cinema. Um, and we, we do. Do you want to touch on that later? Yeah, and like yeah. I remember in, you mentioned something in your Observance review, uh, in the end... I forget the name of the critic, and she made this great point. Uh, she, at the Q&A at the Melbourne screening, uh, she made reference to everyone using American accents, and the director said he wanted the film to be feeling like it took place in a big, faceless society, which you can't do in Australia, because, you know, Sean Rosell and there's a cafe around the corner. Yeah. Uh, and the woman that was interviewing made this great point. It's like, for the fact we didn't support Babadook, yeah. You can do whatever the fuck you like. Yeah. If you think your film is going to be better with American accents to make it more sellable, you go, because Australia will not support you. Yeah. And we've made that very clear. Whoa. Yeah, and I think I'm completely behind that. You have yeah. to do anything you can to um, see your film, because, yeah, and, like, also, it's like, yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> a depressing thing. So, okay, so if all these kind of smaller places go out of business, it's like, well... Uh, What's the hope? Like, the you know, the Sonys and the MGMs of the world probably won't pick up films like that. And I think, ultimately, Bagabadook would have been picked up by some place because it's so good, but, you know, you, you're killing off the negative industries. And not, not to say even the producers of Babadook got any money from it, probably in the US. I know the producer. Lovely guy. <laughs> um, so, but I, I think th- there's actually a bigger problem that we now, like, and let's be honest, we all pirate stuff. I pirated films of people I know, <laughs> which I felt bad. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, um, we don't feel bad about it, and, but now in Australia we have a generations of kids, like, I pirate, but I know it's wrong and I feel bad. Yeah. We have a generation of kids who don't. Yeah. Like, um, I remember. I think it's normal. Yeah, which is, and like, you know, and like Madman, Umbrella, Monster Pictures, they could all go out of business. Mm. 
But as long as somebody releases this, these films somewhere in the world, they're going to get on Pirate Bay the next day and they're not going to give a shit. Mm. Um, the most damning example came a couple of weeks ago where I think Telstra had a free download day where you can have as much data as you want. Mm. And this little fucking shit of a kid who I wanted to punch in the face um, downloaded like it was something crazy. It was like a... So yeah. he downloaded the entire Simpsons back catalogue, which they reported on in the media. And, and no one said, hang on, did you do that illegally? Did you yeah. pay for that? No, but in the interview, the kid's like oh don't worry I'm going to watch it all it's like the problem is that's not what we're worrying about we're worrying that but you're at no kind of level have thought maybe I've just stolen thousands of dollars of other people's property yeah that's the problem there kid yeah you know how did he not get arrested that that kid's got a job at Telstra now that's unbelievable so um and like and but I don't blame this kid because he's lived he's grew up in this environment where it's completely Mm. normal and he hasn't been given any better alternatives how to access this information um, in this media. So I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. But yeah, there's a problem that these kids aren't... I don't know. All, all the Simpsons stuff is out there and available to buy. Yeah. It's not like he, he's downloaded it because he can't get it. That's no, true. No, but I think you, when you open the door to cheaper, more efficient, the, yeah, you a, can't go back. Yeah, mm. there's, a, there's a feeling with the, uh, out there that... Why should I pay for it when it's there for free? Yeah. And and, and there's also a feeling like it's um it's sort of downloadable stuff is free. Why why should I pay for intangible yeah stuff? I I can't put my hands on it. Yeah. I've down I've, I'm downloading it off the internet. It should be free. Yeah. And like I get that and like I don't blame the kids. Like I understand yeah. mentally you can connect those dots very easily. Yeah. Mm. But you know what the problem is? Films are just expensive to make. Yeah. Like, with the licenses for films for Australia and other countries... Well, I actually don't know. I wasn't working in the industry 10, 15 years ago. I think they've dropped a little bit. But production costs, mm. if you want to make a film and pay your crew... And once again, people have mortgages. People have kids. People deserve to, you know, make a reasonable amount of time for their craft. Yep. Um, you know, you need to pay them. And then this is the problem is so... The market hears almost nothing. So when we acquire films, like I had to send an email the other day to a sales agent for a sci-fi film, and a really lovely sales agent, um, and he was like, oh, these figures are terrible. And it's like, buddy, you think the figures look bad at your end? <laughs> you know, they make me want to cry. Were you involved with Wormwood in any way? No, not at all. No? No. Because they actually, they had a unique situation where they, um, when they were, when they, they were, before they were released, they actually got... Uh, one of the highest download. They actually beat Game of Thrones in yeah. Australia for the amount of, for the amount they were being downloaded. Yeah, and they were they were pissed. Yeah, right? but they were also it's like well, doesn't that that's also shows just how interested people are. Maybe this will then help us in some way. Yeah, and no, like that used to be rental money right there. Mm. Yeah, mm. that used to be because even. Like, geez, I've downloaded heaps of stuff I'm never going to watch. Right. You know, people You know, people just kind of, like, how many of those people actually watched it? Mm. Have, and there's an argument, like, maybe, like, if 1% buys the DVD, that's better than nothing. Yep. Uh, you know, having a sustainable in- industry in which people can make money is probably the actual solution. And that's kind of ha- what we have to work towards. And I don't have, can we touch on that? That, that 1% thing. So what about, uh, one, one of the things that my, one of my friends, uh, he's a, a notorious downloader. Yeah. Uh, he says, well, if, well, if I download something and I like it, I will buy it. 
Yeah. In order to support them. Do they really? Think, what do you think of that argument? They, actually, they really do. In their defence, they do actually do that. Um, but... Like, like, I can't... Like, you know, I download stuff. I can't judge anyone. Yeah. Um... And, you know, in my mind, I can go, well, I can, ju- I justify it as like, well, I still buy physical media. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't really know. Like, there's probably an argument there. But I kind of think the real, like I, I, like, I don't know. Like, I think the solution will come in VOD that has advertisement attached to it. Yes. So this is it's this great thing, as I mentioned before, when the cinema in the 50s was declining because of television. Nothing ever changes. Essentially, we need internet television with ads that people can access. Yeah. And filmmakers will make money off advertisement rather than the actual product. Because I think media is now worthless. Like, yeah. you can't give it value anymore just because, you know, once again, you've gone through that door, you can't ever go back. Yeah. Um, but how that actually plays out, and like, we... Uh, we are connected to a queer VOD site in the US right. and the money you get for VOD with advertisement isn't great it's like do we have a, a population to actually support that and make a profit I don't know maybe maybe not so yeah a lot of <laughs> I've given a lot of problems but no solutions <laughs> there's no solutions is it what about yeah. the stand model isn't that that's all advertising isn't it stand yeah, we but don't get it. So I don't know. Yeah, Stan is mostly like it, it's it it, it it tends to be product that they only tend to buy films that have had a theatrical release. Gotcha. Uh, and that kind of comes back to diversity. Like for example, this next month we're releasing a great film called Blood Punch, mm. which is a New Zealand horror film uh, in which oh, the, the first like I really like it. Uh, but it'll never get on TV, it'll never get a theatrical, and it's not because it's not good, it's fucking great. Mm. It has no names in it. And uh, it's in the first scene, basically, it's a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and this chick comes in and goes, Hey, I need somebody to cook me some speed. Anyone? 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 I need high-speed crank. Come on. <laughs> and it's and it, it kind of it flies off from a rocket from there because that's great. Of course, that's that's of course how you got to get somebody to make your drugs. You yeah. go to yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a great film, and I really like it. It's really gory, and it's got really good performances, but it just doesn't have any names in it. So it's a great. Like I think it's totally worth seeing. I think it's worth buying on DVD, even if we weren't releasing it. But. It's not going to get in stand. Yeah. So, like, and when, back to that thing, you know, if all this, all the smaller places dissolve, you won't get that diver- diversity. But as long as somebody releases somewhere in the world, who gives a shit? Yeah, you know. Um, so the, the, the problem with Stan and, and Netflix is that they're streaming. So if you don't have a great internet connection, yeah, and yeah. Like, there's no point. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's no point. So. Uh, Download is a better option. Yeah. So if you pay per download, if you had a, a subscription and you could download what you wanted, yeah, some sort of something like that, that would be yeah better. Because how iTunes cause, works, you download it and it lasts for a certain amount of time. Yeah, but you're, you're paying per download there. It's not a subscription. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. Like occasionally we do stuff through uh, um, iTunes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When's the last time you've ever heard any human being going, "Oh, I downloaded a movie off iTunes"? <laughs> never. <laughs> I downloaded like, music and books from iTunes, yeah. but yeah. never, never. People a, don't know movies. Never a movie. And the le- the last film we put up there. I think we were number two, and in for horror, the number third film was Spawn. No way. 
<laughs> so, that's awesome. So that gives you an idea. Maybe like Spawn had one download. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, like, and you can have all these ideas, but unless they're going to bring in an actual income, I don't know. And I think the industry's got to change in which, you know, smaller places will need, you know, 10,000 films or bringing in 10 cents a month. Mm. Um, it's not great, but what do you do? Okay, so you could be like... Um, so, in this, once again, not being up with Netflix, what they're doing, which is ingenious and good for the filmmakers, is they're buying worldwide rights for films. Mm. And, um, which, getting the worldwide Netflix right, rights for films is probably actually pretty decent money when you, like, there's 40 mm. territories. Wow. So, every, are they in 40 countries? No, they're in... So 38. Yeah. So, you know, when you combine all that money up, I don't know what they actually offer. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So typically the sales agents would make this deal. So then they would only have to share the money with the sales agents and the filmmakers. And the, then obviously the investors get money back easier. But we're releasing a Twisted Sister documentary, which is great. <laughs> but Netflix, I think, has already been sold. sold so it's like... Oh, what are we going to do with it? Mm. Like, um, the the problem is, it's like, you know, Netflix, Flicks were going to give us pennies, but we want those pennies. Yeah. So now we can't do anything theatrically to it because Australia is tiny. Like, we've only got a handful of cinemas that will play diverse and interesting films like, you know, Palace mm. and The Nova and The Aster. Uh, so, say, if we take this Twisted Sister documentary, uh, I think we've got to do one screening with um, what's PBS, the community radio station. Right. I don't know if I got the name right. Okay. But, you know, like, if we take it to a cinema, they're like, they're going to go, well, what's on Netflix? Like, yeah. You know, in the US, you can release things theatrically of VOD, DVD at the same time because the market's huge. Australia, it's a little bit less big. So, like, we'll lose some DVD. And granted, we did get it. Uh, not We got it at a good price. We're not complaining. Yes. Uh, I'm liking the sound of this world rights thing. One of the big problems also with um, downloadable media is is the zones. You're restricted by zones. So, so, so things that get released in the UK, for instance, um, somebody will post a link to the video. You can't watch it here because it's only available in the UK. Yeah. Um, and the general people don't understand how markets work. Yeah. Um, and which is the reason why this is happening. Yeah. But um, general people know this: the internet's a worldwide phenomenon. If it's on the internet, I should be able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing with Netflix too is uh, many Australians, notably at least, uh, are, are using the American version because they've got better content than the Australian yeah. version. I use the American version. Yeah. You want to touch on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like in all, yeah, I'm just as bad as anyone else. Yeah. But yeah, well, the problem is, like, then it makes the film itself less valuable. And mm. so they can last. So, you know, they will, the sales agent has to sell it for less of a GM. But mm. if they've made their money back on the Netflix deal, oh, well, that's okay. You know, what, what I don't know. I don't know if that's either good or bad, but it's it? happening and you have to deal with it. But I also think Netflix, something's got to happen. You can see that they've dumped a lot of their back catalogue. Yeah. Like, this whole VOT thing, I think something's got to burst. It can't go on like this because, you know. It's... What about Netflix Originals? That they're actually making. Like getting, getting their own content. That's yeah, yeah, that's like that's yeah, pretty, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, like all the stuff that makes great. But I'm talking about third party content. Oh, yeah. okay. And see, they would also, you know, they can still license all everything they make out to television stations. Yeah. And make money that way. Um, 
So, so I guess I was, I was like, because I think we should talk about Game of Thrones because that's the only topic that ever gets <laughs> talked about. The number one downloaded show in Australia. And it's also probably, well, no, probably about it. It would be the most expensive television show in the world to license. Yeah. Like, essentially every year they produce a period, high-quality, 10-hour movie. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, Foxtel probably would have paid an insane... I don't know the figures, yeah. but even... To just get it to make a, to lose money on it, to have the prestige of having it, yeah. I don't think would be unreasonable. Uh, so if they want to put it on their premium 110 bucks a month package, a part of me goes, well, you've paid an insane yeah. amount of money for the greatest TV show ever made. <laughs> like, I, I don't, like, a part of me... Wouldn't exactly say that. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it's the hottest, like, yeah. the thing... Every... It's the most popular TV yeah. show ever made, I would <laughs> yeah. give you that. But, you know, it would have kept... So a part of me can't criticise them for trying to want, make as much money of out course. of it as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, then the argument is, you know, people are going to download it for free. Yeah. Because I, and I, I, I think also kind of another element people don't really talk about is the zeitgeist of social media. Yeah. It's because people kind of want to talk about Game of Thrones in the episodes within that 24 hours and people don't want to be left out. Because yeah. literally the next day, no one's going to care. No. So it's, yeah, I don't know. And yeah, and Foxtel do a lot of stupid things to stop getting people. People want to give them money. Their um, online service is terrible. Yeah. So that, And so that's another justification. People go, oh, well, you know, if they really wanted people to download it, you know, they would make their service good. And it's like, I don't know. I... But but it comes back to the thing. If you're not willing to pay for you know, may possibly the greatest TV show ever made, but possibly not, <laughs> because we all know Quantum Leap was. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> what are you going to pay for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and granted, you know, and and Game of Thrones is an insanely expensive show to make. And once again, they're not in the business to break even. No. They're in the business to make money. To make money. Because they've got an accounts, they've got so many ordinary people that just want to go about with their lives, yeah. working for them, that they have to look after. But they would make a crazy amount of money through merchandise. And here's yeah. like another issue people, like I, I take issue with when people go, oh, they've made enough money. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? You're the boss of saying how much money people can make? People can make as much money as they want. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as wow. long as they're being ethical, yeah. You know, as long as no one has, gets hurt in the process, yeah. Um, so that was a <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I don't yeah. Once again, like I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but the film industry needs to change. Mm. And maybe the solution is a whole bunch of little businesses go out of business, and. You know? I would cry if Mad Men and Umbrella went out of business. Yeah. I seriously, would, I would actually cry. I, I don't know. What I the, love Mad Men. I don't know what the solution is. Up until now, the the market's adapted to the industry. It's got to re- reverse now. The, the industry's got to adapt to the market, and it's started to happen. But yeah. the problem is, there's just not enough money to make it feasible. Yeah. No. That's, not. like, everyone wants to adapt, but... Like, he's the other... Like, I remember when... Uh, uh, when um, Lutz Pitsters released Human Centipede 3, 
somebody complained that, oh, well, this has been out for months. And it's like, well, we can't do VOD right away because there's still money in the rental industry. Like, that's it's almost dead, but it's still money. We can get more money from physical media than we can for VOD. So why, when we can get a little bit of money from theatrical, so why would we do VOD right away? Because basically everyone else will complain. Rental will go, oh, why do you go VOD? You're taking out, there's so little money to be had. Everyone is desperate for it. Yeah. What about those rare occasions where we get stuff first? We actually well, get stuff really theatrically a couple of days or a week before. Well, well, even the Green Lantern, which was like a it, month before. I was about to say, it <laughs> was a glorious month when we had Battleship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Battleship and Green Lantern, both not very good movies. Yeah. And also... <laughs> if, if, Bloody terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and also my debate was mostly just smaller genre fare. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like Punch Punch, which is great, but not going to get on TV because it doesn't have a name. Yeah. And I think that probably goes into my next rant. Okay. <laughs> I, like it. it's a, I like your segue into your own rants. It's pretty... yeah. So, um, say if you're a filmmaker, and I guess this advice is a little bit universal. Like, if you live in a bigger country, it's probably going to be a little bit more um, hopeful for you. <laughs> so, say if you're an Australian filmmaker. Yeah. Once again, you've made this film. How do you get it distributed in Australia. So, like, as I said before, you, usually in the country of origin, yeah. like, I don't think you really need a sales agent to no. get your film distributed in Australia. Like, no. Well, if you're aiming for one of the My small... first call would be to Madman. Yeah, oh, well, Madman's probably a little bit too big. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. But, okay, so, um, for argument's sake, we just released this insane New Zealand no-budget action film called Contract Killers. Which is, it's just, it's, it's just a bunch of dude with guns running around New Zealand at night. It's great. I really love it. Um, it has just a lot of energy and a lot of personality. And it's the type of film where people only get shot in the head. And they tend to get shot about five times in the head while flying back. And when they hit the ground, they get shot in the head more for some... And, and my favorite scene, um, this Asian guy who, uh, he's a great fighter, but... You know, there's a difference between a bad actor and a non-actor. Yeah. He's a non-actor. <laughs> he can't talk in full sentences, but I love him because he's kind of got... He's got personality to him yeah. when he's not talking. He's got screen charisma. It's important. Yeah. Um, it's important, he, Sam. He goes to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy. He, he goes to a strip club because he has to kill all these contract killers in the one night. Yeah. And he, you think he's following this guy uh, who's getting a lap dance. He gets a lap dance from the girl, but it turns out the... The guy, the girl, the other person who's getting the lap dance, the lap dancer is actually the contract Kelly has to take out. So he shoots through his stripper to kill her. (laughs) And at one point, there's a guy on fire, and the sniper still decides to headshot him. (laughs) So it's it's this great, insane New Zealand action film, and... um, To get a bit sidetracked, I got the guys to do an audio commentary, and, you know, there's this... uh, There's this... Um, and they're lovely, lovely guys. I desperately want to meet them. Um, there's this uh, idea that people from New Zealand are a little bit naive and good-natured. Mm. This audio commentary will not dispel this myth. <laughs> Probably naive is the wrong word. Good-natured is. It gets very excited every every time somebody does a wheeling on a motorcycle. And it's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, we shot this film, uh, you know, public people saw the guns, but, you know, there's no crime in New Zealand, so no one can. Oh, oh, little cry. Come on. <laughs> That's hilarious. They have the politest police in the world. They do, yeah. They do have very polite police. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. And like, I really like that film. So, okay, so we, we got this film. So it's pretty much, a, it's called Contract Killers. It's yeah. very generic. The art is photoshopped within a second of its life. Yeah. So what, what do we do with this? So I've got this film, and it's like, well, 
you know, you have to generate some kind of interest. Uh, your first port of call is to ring up your journalist buddies and go, hey, do you want to do an on in this? Yep. Um, but that's not really much of anything. Right. I could have maybe tracked down, like, action, because it's an action film, probably could have tracked down some action websites and organised some interviews that probably internationally. How much is that really going to affect DVD sales in Australia? None. Yep. So, I like the film, but... There's nothing you can do with it. Why is there nothing I can do with it? I don't know. No obvious hook. Oh. So, okay. So, let's revise this. So, but it's like, so... People love that stuff. These This is really popular. This is uh, the the mad action stuff. If it had Nicolas Cage in it, that's the hook. Well, that's true. So, let's revise it (laughs) and just say it's a John Woo-inspired action film about vampires. Right. More of a hook. Yeah. So then you can go to horror websites because it's got a vampire in it and gone, well, people are a little bit more interested because when's the last time you've seen a vampire action film? Yeah. Does so, it have a vampire in it? No, no, no. But I'm oh. revising it, oh, saying okay. it. So let's say it's the same film, but now yeah. all the lead characters are vampires. Yeah. So when you pitch it to people, people go, well, I've seen a generic action film, but they don't realize how great it is. Yeah. But they, in their head, once again, it's making people feel... They think, well, I, I haven't seen a John Woo-inspired, no-budget New Zealand vampire, vampire action film. Yeah, yeah. So, so it gets people interested. So let's yeah. um, take it one step further. Let's <laughs> say it's got um, one of the umbilical, umbilical brothers, and I use this as an example because in the interview we did for filming, they talk about being actors and how they can never get auditions because people think that they're comedians. Right. But they're actors who got into comedy. Yes. Because it's very physical, it's very emotive. So, say you've got this um, low-budget vampire action film that has one of the umbilical brothers' name, which I don't know either of their names. Yeah. What do you have then? Well, then you can have starring the umbilical brothers. Kind of. You've got more of a P- PR sphere. Like, you can go to Triple M and you can go, hey, we've got this low-budget genre film. It's got one of the, the umbilical brothers in it. Uh, do you want to interview them? Do you want to interview them? And then Triple M go, well, do we want an t- easy 20-minute interview with a comedian? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Yes. So when you've got somebody people actually want to interview, because like radio stations, TV station, magazines, websites, they need content yeah. 24 hours a day, but they also need... Well, they don't need, but if you've got content that's incredibly easy for them, that's going to be fun, that's going to be a breeze, the answer's got to be yes. Yes. So, um, so, but outside of Australia, well, actually, the Umbilical Brothers are a bad example because they're really well known outside of Australia. But let's say, <laughs> let's say, um, who's it? Like, let's say Carl Barron. Yeah. That's probably the better example. So he'll have no, and the thing with, and I, this is quite seriously, like, cast a comedian because they're not going to be, like, you know, you can get them if they shoot for one day. Yeah. They'll probably be on the cheap side. Yeah. And stand-up comedians always want to diversify. Yeah. Uh, because in the interview we did with Merrick Ross, he talks about how uh, Merrick and Ross, so they did sell-out tours all around Australia a couple of times. And then what do you do? Yeah. You need a different challenge. Uh, and, yeah, comedians, they want to get into films just because it's... You know, you just can't do stand-up all the time. And they're a known name, they're a known brand. And they get people certainly on a preliminary media... It's not unusual for a comedian to actually step into actual acting. Yeah. And be quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I guess... So, say it's got Carl Barron. Yeah. 
you'll get uh, interest in Australia. Internationally, you'll get nothing. So what do you do now? <laughs> you get an international person? It's, you get the easiest but to get like a bit of an international requisition. Like some sort of D-lister? D yeah, like... Yeah, like Jerry O'Connell in, in Kangaroo Jack. Well, I think even Jerry <laughs> would be too expensive. <laughs> wow. And... No, really? Jerry O'Connell? <laughs> oh, like, but we're talking... He should be honoured to be in my film. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, to actually give practical advice, we're talking films that have budgets less than $50,000. Okay, cool. Like, we're not talking about million-dollar films. Like, I think... Yeah. That people I'm actually giving advice to are people that work day jobs. They do it on the weekend. Yes. Um, but, you know, uh, Jeffrey Coons came out for a convention a couple of years ago. You know, you know, it's not impossible to get his agent. He's not the end of the world. He's not, you know, it's not possible to get in contact. With and he's good as well. Yeah. And if, you know, they, these guys come out of conventions. Yeah. You know, they can so you a scale of the conventions. So you get, them, get an extra day. Yeah. You film one day, and then you have to cast them in a role that is against type. Now, as I mentioned before, we've got uh, Robert England doing uh, publicity for a film we're releasing called The Last Showing. The reason he's doing that is because he it's about a cinema that's about to go all digital, and he's like an old school film guy, uh, and he's this and he's this punsy little English guy that's completely against type. Yeah. So he likes the performance. He likes the fact that he's not, oh, you know, he's not cast in Doctor yeah. or, you know, how many boring roles, he unpredictable roles he usually gets cast in. And I was thinking the other day, um, cast, make a, somebody needs to make a horror Sherlock Holmes films and cast him as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And see, conceptually, it hits parts of your brain and go, yeah, I want to see this. Yeah. So, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It gets a little bit more expensive, and like somebody like you know these legacy horror actors, they make they make your films more appealing. But they they certainly they're not bums on seat actors. Right. Like to hit that next level of you know a film, you actually like for example, I love Denny Trejo. I would never go see one of his films, you know, if Steven Seagal wasn't in it. <laughs> you know, he's a legacy kind of people like yeah. him. He's coldish, but mm, by himself. I love Danny Dreher. But do, but no, I saw Machete. Have you seen Machete? But no, no, you're saying exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if it's a standalone Danny Trejo action film, are you really paying money for that? But if it's got Steven Seagal and yeah. Steve Austin in it, yeah. Yeah. like Trejo, Trejo makes everything better, but he can't, yeah. I like that. Trejo makes everything better. Yeah, okay. but you know what I'm saying. Like, I see what you're saying. Even Denny Trejo, you can get him. Like, yep. <laughs> like, yep. like he's. It's not horribly expensive. So then, um, the international websites. So, for example, you know, you, you, well, we'll, we'll swap it. We'll talk. We'll do the uh, Robert England horror Sherlock Holmes film. Yeah. Um, so then, international websites become interesting because conceptually. It's now intriguing. It works, yeah. So when you make your film, basically work to the point of, can your idea be summed up in one picture on a poster? In the Robert England Sherlock Holmes films, you can see that. You yeah. know exactly what that poster is. If you're in JB Hi-Fi and you saw it, you'd be like, yeah, I get this. Yeah. And you, you have to understand, you literally only have a glance. That's how long you have from people to uh, buy your film or, let's be honest, download it off Pirate Bay. Yeah. Oh, or extra time because you can see the little thumbnails. <laughs> um, wow. 
But, you know, getting him for a full feature isn't conceivable in a low-budget film. Yeah. But, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. um... So, so going back to this contract so, killers. Yeah. So it's contract killers. New Zealand action film. It then becomes a New Zealand action vampire. You turn it into a genre. Like so into action some- is a genre, but kind of horror and sci-fi yeah. are genres that kind of still okay, sell okay in the low budget kind of range. So sci-fi and horror makes more money than action. Yeah. Yep. Just because those people still tend to buy DVDs. There's still kind of a thing behind buying horror. Not a great, yep. not a huge thing, but... So you get an Australian actor in there. And there's more horror websites than action websites. Oh, yeah. But, I can't think of a single action website, but it's a horror website for sure. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, you don't have to do... Um, you know, you, your film doesn't have to be Sharknado, yep. but you like my friend made a roller derby slasher film and he's not even going to say it's the best film ever, but he went to the American film market and he basically got meetings because he went, Roller Derby, Roller Derby slasher film? And yeah. people like conceptually, yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah. And it clicks and he, you know, he got meetings based off basically Roller Derby slasher film? Yeah. So, so okay, so so let's go back. We've got our um, generic horror film, can't really do much with it. Yeah. Oh, well, no, what we can say, like, say if it's an Australian film, we can do a premiere, uh, and we can do one theatrical screening, and there tends to be, an, like, it, we like to do premieres in Australia because people who work on friends will work on films will bring their friends, they'll bring their cousins, they'll bring the family, and you can pack a cinema once. But, you know, you can do that yourself yep. and walk away with all the money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you kind of, I guess, need a name or a strong concept before a distributor will really be that interested in it. Um, so you can do... Uh, and also, it's um, when you're um, making a film, you always have to remember promotion, promotion, promotion. Like, always send out media releases. Uh, and, you know, maybe you don't have the contact details for Dread Central. Uh, well, it's okay. Find them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get a publicist. Like, unfortunately, you have to do absolutely everything. Now, why would you want to get, you know, say you've been in production for a film, this vampire John Woo action film with Carl uh, Barron and <laughs> Denny Trejo. Denny Trejo, yeah. Say you've been working on it for a year. You've sent out five media releases. You gave get Dead Central, like, the first still and the exclusive trailer for a week. Why would you want to do this? You're creating buzz. Creating buzz, yeah. Now, your next step is you want to, like, you want to get your film into a film festival. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of, like, premier genre film festivals. Do you see a connection here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, the people who run these festivals are just like us. They go to exactly the same websites. Yes. It's not like they go to a secret set of film industry websites. And if they've been reading about your vampire Denny Trejo action film for a year, they've seen the trailer. When you submit it, you're kind of like, yeah, I've been reading about this for a year. And let's assume... The film's good. Well, this all <laughs> depended on the film being good, and yeah. most films aren't. So, but yeah. if you're constantly in the media, these people, yeah, they're just like us. Get, they, get it into Fright Fest. Yeah. So, they actually already know what the film is. So, this sell to get it in is much, much less. Mm. And once you're in one film festival, you get in more, you get in more, you get in more. Then maybe you'll get a buzz. Then maybe, like Observance, like Babadook, it would be successful internationally. So then when it comes back to Australia, you can kind of demand a little bit more money because now it's a thing. 
Yeah. It's now a thing people are interested in. Um, so, yeah, I guess creating buzz is, like, incredibly important. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how to make a good film. <laughs> and, and I can't tell you how to market a film successfully as much as I can tell you what not to do. But, uh, granted, you can do all these things and you can still fail. And if you're the type of person, like, Observance is a great example. It's a weird art film. Mm. And if that guy had come to me for advice, I probably would have said all these things. It may not have been successful, but he went on, did it on his own terms. It made, hopefully it's made him a bit of money and he's got to move on to better things from it. Mm. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, take everything I say with a pinch of salt because yeah, you can fail on my terms or you can fail on your terms. I don't think my, anything I said is particularly set in stone as much as it's just kind of good general advice. Mm. But at the end of the day, make a good film. That's Concentrate on that. And, you know, make sure the genre actually has to do with your plot and your characters. Because at the end of the day, it's all about plot and characters. But, yeah, if you can get somebody who's a little bit known. Thank God you said plot and characters. But, yeah, if if you can get somebody. Yeah. Yeah. People will become... No one's interested in your film, but people are interested in the people that are in your film, and that's how you get people interested in your film. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so quite often you were talking about um, you need a name to sell a film. It helps. It, it does sells. a lot. So very, something that sort of interests me and we've talked about we've touched about on the show is whitewashing. Yeah. Right. So uh, Ridley Scott said that he couldn't sell uh, Exodus Yeah. Um, because... You need it with, you know, with. I mean, there 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 are, you know, Egyptian Arabic actors, but yeah. he couldn't sell it with using those actors, as, to, to how, despite how good they could be, yeah. because he needed to have names. And of oh course, yeah, and unfortunately, one of the names he got, I don't. I mean, no, no offense to the man anyway, but Joel Edgerton is yeah. not exactly a huge name, but yeah. of course, but he had Christian Bale as well yeah. and stuff. So, what are your thoughts on that sort of stuff? The, 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 the whitewashing, needing an actor, that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you would like. I had this debate with what's the new the anime one with Scarlett Johansson oh Ghost in the Shell yeah, yeah. So um, Scarlett Johansson playing a Japanese cyborg but anime's always been a bit white yeah like, she's not exactly Japanese in the in the anime yeah um, but <laughs> somebody somebody I was talking online and it was like well you can use all these great TV actors but you don't quite understand the line between famous and not famous yeah like um, think of this if my mum can identify them, yep. who's a 74-year-old woman who lives in rural New South Wales, yep. they can be in your movie. Yep. But if you're talking about you know, one of, somebody who had a medium role in Daredevil, yep. it's not famous. Like, it's just really this hard line. And I don't... Because I, as I was saying before, um, the budgets for movies are so insane and marketing budgets tend to be as big as the actual production budgets. Like, so much money is riding on these films, you just have to be as generic as humanly possible, and I don't blame anyone, but I think TV suddenly picks up the slack because there's less money involved, and I don't criticise for films for not being diverse, but I do criticise TV. Like, I think TV should be that great reflection of society and culture because it's a little bit cheaper, and if it fails, it's, you know, not going to be as the end of the world. So you don't blame films for not being diverse? No, not at all, because they... Because just an insane... Like, they have to go for the lowest common denominator. Like, I'm talking about, like, big kind of tentpole films because we don't have that medium-range film anymore. 
Because yeah. once I said before, the, the rental industry kind of was a bit of a backbone for that. And that kind of content has gone for TV. What do you consider media range? What about what about media, like what about Chronicle? Uh, Chronicle, yeah, that's a low budget film, but I'm talking. It tapped into a popular genre of like teen, tween supernatural dramas. Yeah, I'm talking more about like maybe like films like Boondock Saints. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, that were... Like, that's a pretty much... It's a great film, but it's kind of a generic action-y film. I don't think it's a great film. <laughs> what? You know, we, can, we can spend the rest of the podcast talking about that. I actually think it's incredibly overrated. But yeah. yeah. But, but, I can, but I can see the appeal to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, But no, no. Like, I, I think just because there's just the same amount of money. Like, I don't yeah. blame anyone for playing but it. But if they don't do it, no one's going to. No, no. TV will. Like, TV has never been better because See. they've picked up diversity. Right. Like, you know, there's shows like Blackish and, you know, like, even as horrible as it is, like, ten years ago, would you ever think that there would be a, t- a reality TV star about a high-profile transgendered woman? Yeah. Of course not. Right. Like, as much as I'm Caitlin, whatever, in itself is trash... It's diversity. Yeah. It's diversity in trash. Yeah. Like, and yeah, no, I think TV is the home for that. I just yeah. don't see there's any real room in the cinema. And it's because... If you in TV, it can transfer to cinema. So, uh, yeah, but would it, would it then, uh, once TV sort of, TV pushes the boundaries and yeah. it has, you know, diversity and, you know, good roles for, you know, people of colour and, and yeah. women and stuff like that, then, then will film then pick it up I don't know. Like, to go back to the... It's that kind of... Maybe. Like, I I think, you know, certainly people, diverse people can break, transcend the medium from television to film. Yeah. But I don't see massive, huge blockbusters going away anytime soon. Yeah. Just because they're making money. Like, um, and even, like, people have been criticizing, like, Batman versus Superman and calling it a flop. And it's like, you look at the figures, it did more money than Daredevil. It made money even as a flop. Yeah. But it's technically and a flop because it, it, the, it, the next week it was down 81%. But it's very normal, though. Yeah. Like, it underperformed, but it made money. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between the two. You know, like, they wanted to make Star Wars levels of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, yeah, so that's it, a, so we it, all want to make Star Wars it, levels of money. Isn't it technically that as long as you make no, your money as, back, it's not a flop? As long as you make your money back. Yes, as long as you make a profit. And yeah. stuff like, you know, Waterworld made a profit, but, yeah. you know, the echo chamber of the internet has <laughs> led us to believe that Waterworld isn't great, but it made money. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so just so just to just to follow, so so yeah. whitewashing is is whitewashing a problem? Is it going away? The bottom line is money. If you've got a, a diverse actor who's going to make you millions of dollars, they're not going to care whether you're white, black, yeah, transgender yeah. or what. And if, you're to, if you, you've got to make the money, if you can make the money, if you can draw in the draw in yeah. the crowd. And th- this is actually why I really like pro wrestling because. Race and, well, actually, I should say gender, but no, women wrestlers aren't given the same respect. You know, race is completely irrelevant. Yeah. It's all about having that little thing. Like, even, can you name me how many Samoan actors that were around in the 90s pulling bums on seats? But in wrestling, we had The Rock. Yeah. You know, in the 80s, we had, like, Tino Senseta wasn't a huge draw, but, you know, he was up there. Yeah. Um... But yeah, yeah, like, yeah, ultimately people will go where the money goes. And, yeah. like, there's, 
and see, the problem is I don't want to say it's okay for whitewashing. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I believe in diversity and equality, but I don't think there's anything behind it other than they're just the best actors. There's yeah. no kind of mean, oh, we can't have darkies in our film. Yeah. Um, it's just... Well, like Ridley said, he, he can't sell his film yeah. with... Yeah. He's, 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 I'm not saying there aren't good Middle Eastern actors. Yeah. But they're not going to sell me the... They're not going to sell the film. Yeah. Christian Bale is going to sell the film. Yeah. Despite the fact that the film was terrible. But, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's yeah. essentially how it works. So basically what Crystal said is it's... it's what's, who's going to make the money? Yeah. But then the question is, like, how do you get... How do people from diverse backgrounds become that's it. the that's, rock? That's but, my thing. How do they eventually get to that point? Well, and you're it, saying television. Well, I don't know. Like The Rock's a great example yeah. because, you know, once again, who would have ever thought a Samoan yeah. would be one of the biggest actors in the history of cinema? Yeah. And I guess there's a way to do it. I yeah. don't, I'm not an actor. I don't know the steps, but... It also helps that he's awesome. Yeah. It's not a barrier. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like, but I want to see more diversity. But yeah, I think you're not going to find this in cinema. I think you're going to find it on TV. And I think yeah. TV's incredible now. Oh, it's the golden age. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, not Australian TV. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that was uh, pretty damn amazing stuff. Do you, can you... Um, it, actually, I a, couple of, a couple of you said at the start that you, that you weren't an expert in the field. But uh, actually, I do want to say one thing. All right, Gods of Egypt was incredible. <laughs> Incredibly Any, bad. Oh, my goodness. Any <laughs> film where people bleed gold. Oh, oh my God. I loved every second of it. <laughs> Look, and, I, and I, it, I did too, but come on. Only, was, only because it was terrible. You like a bad and, film. And you're watching it and it's like, oh, this is a good payday for you, Brian Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to see some good Australian actors in there. Yeah. Was, oh, jeez. But oh, I loved every second of it. <laughs> and this is why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Alright, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to some reviews. Um, you haven't seen Midnight Special, right? No. Right, I'll get Midnight Special out of the way. Okay. Alright. It's uh, Midnight Special is the latest film from Jeff Nichols, uh, who directed Mud, uh, which is brilliant. See it. Um, and it's uh, it's sort of a it's Jeff Nichols' sort of first. Uh, sort of studio film where he hasn't actually he basically hasn't he's not in total control he's actually got people he has to answer to and it's a throwback to sort of 70s sci-fi um, type stuff it is it is very much Starman uh, with a little kid instead of uh, instead of um, Jeff, no, Jeff Bridges yeah no Jeff Bridges <laughs> yeah uh, but it stars uh, Michael Shannon the always excellent Michael Shannon yeah. um, uh, Joel Edgerton <laughs> Yeah, buddy. Your, your favorite, <laughs> I, but I love it. I love the dude. I just, yeah. I just don't understand why he was freaking Ramesses. I just don't get it. Please, you'll learn how to pronounce his name. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Kirsten Dunst. And um, there's, there's a lot of hype about this film. There's a lot of hype, and mainly because it's um, Jeff Nichols, um, who is excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's oh, it's also got um, Kylo Ren in it. What's his name? Yeah, Adam, Adam Driver. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Like, in fact, he's probably he the, like he's only in the biggest film of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why isn't he on the cover? Yeah, why is exactly? Um, so 
there's yeah, so there's a lot of hype, and um, so I was very very eager to see it. It's, it's scoring, it's reviewing, you know, quite well. Um, its meta score is you know seventy six, and oh. and I kind of tell you, I I don't really get it. I don't get the hype. You know, it's just I mean, it's it does that thing where it starts. I can't remember the actual Latin term for it, but it starts the story in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I think that is its actual is its flaw. Is it is it, it normally I would be quite happy for that, um, but. You would normally do that with the intent of then showing some of the stuff that did happen before, and it doesn't do that. So the general idea is that uh, you've got a father who's rescued his son from a cult type place, and uh, his son is special. His, his son has powers. It's not giving anything away. It's on the front. It's on the poster. Um, and uh, has what? to. I assume Michael Shannon was Starman because he's so weird. <laughs> no, 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 it's the okay. kid. Okay, it's the kid. sorry. The kid is the kid's freaky, um, and uh, they have to get the kid to a certain point of America. I think it's the, the north northern part of Florida, um, in order for an event to occur. And because and they're, they're being chased by the FBI. They're being chased by NSA. They're being chased by the cult people who want him back because they think he's like a, he's spiritual, like he's an angel of some kind. Um, he's but, the messiah. Uh, uh, yeah, well, he's the messiah or something like that. Um, Adam Drivers plays the NSA guy, and uh, it's very, very cool. Uh, the reason the NSA is involved is because the kid can um, tap into uh, government frequencies. And so the sermons at this cult actually have laced in them actual government transmissions <laughs> and so then and people are just blowing they're just blowing like how is this possible it's like it's, it's technically not possible for this to happen anyway so um yeah so all that but so and it, uh, all that being said I, I mean you would think yeah this actually sounds pretty cool and it does it, it actually is it does have some really really cool moments um and the Starman element in the you know the 70s sci-fi is really really groovy but because it starts in the middle of the story you get uh like joel edgerton's character for example He's he's all in. He's he's gonna he'll do whatever he has to do to protect this kid, and he only just met the kid three days ago, and so yeah, he's obviously had some sort of spiritual connection to this kid, and it's amazing and it's awesome. But why? Why is he so Why is he so eager to throw his life away and possibly die in order to help this kid out? It's never it's it's just not explained, and so it's hard to connect. It's hard to connect to these characters hmm. emotionally because why are they doing what they're doing? It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the father is obvious, but. Everybody else, you don't get to see any of it, and so it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, I also think that the end is, it's the end is fascinating because there's, there's multiple ways to interpret how it happens. It's not yeah. very specific, um, and uh, I quite like it for that reason. So it doesn't it doesn't explain everything. You, you can sort yeah. of you can see it's either a spiritual thing, it's a science fiction thing, it's, who knows? It could be anything. So uh, yeah, so for that reason, I rec- I, I mean that, and for Jeff Nichols directing alone, I, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, it is very, very, very cool, but yeah, I don't really, not really worth the hype. Well, um, that's kind of because it's a very much of a novella kind of festival film. Yeah, that doesn't like a lot of those films just sort of translate yeah. <laughs> into the real world. Exactly. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's I'll, you know, I'll just do um, uh, the comic review. I was made aware of a comic called Untold Tales of Snow White. Yeah. Uh, um, have you read this? No, but. Oh. Uh, Interesting, you know why? Why? Well, we know Snow White. Yeah, exactly. Untold. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, well, it's got it. a it's got a really cool cover. It's uh, it's um, it's from uh, Undesirable Comics. Uh, oh, there's a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a fascinating story behind why it's called Undesirable. Uh, Don Hughes, who's the writer, he basically did it because he's he's a nerd, but he's also 
he's a bit of a maverick. <laughs> he likes he likes the stuff that you wouldn't normally. Yeah. You know, he, he he's I, don't know, I won't go into specifics, but uh, he's. He's a he's a fascinating man, and uh, and so he wanted to sort of see that sort of stuff, so like nerdy sort of stuff that you wouldn't normally see. Um, uh, the artist is uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Vag- Wagner Fernandez, um, and uh, the cover is by Mike Chrome, who's done some work for uh, Xenoscope and Aspen and stuff like that. And the cover is awesome. It's so it's it's essentially what if Snow White was a crime lord? So what if Snow White was um, <laughs> um, one of the Sopranos or something, yeah, yeah. you know. I'm thinking, who am I thinking? Scarface. Think yeah. of Snow White, Ben Snap. So Scarface in, in sort of like the fairy tale world. And the cover is this brilliant. It's it's made it's Snow White in front of a table, if you know, with this green powder, which is clearly meant to be a drug of some yeah. kind. But because it's green, it gets away with it, yeah. and uh, it sort of it sort of gets it sort of goes from there. And it's it, the first issue deals with um, a police probably the, the sexiest police lady ever sort of deal. It's, it's very much that sort of Xenoscope style, um, inter- interviewing a person who you don't get to see until the end reveal of who it is. But is And and this per- this particular person is detailing the life of Snow White and how she got where she is. And she, you know, she had her parents were junkies and um, she eventually becomes a hooker. And then... No. And then... Uh, yeah, it's not for kids. This, this, is, this is not for children. Uh, but eventually becomes a hooker. And then um, uh, and to the deal tells the, the scene, you know, the scene, you know, the scene in the fairy tale where the huntsman's meant to kill her and take her heart and take her back to the queen. Um, in this, it's it's just like some hitman guy is meant to kill her. And so he, he they, they dump some body of some poor, unfortunate lady. And then she escapes and eventually sort of leads to the life that she has. I've only, I've only read uh, issue one. Issue one's the only thing that's out there at the moment. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's not for children. <laughs> it's a very very stressed that <laughs> it's got boobies, it's got drug taking, it's got death and destruction. Um, it's uh, it's not for everyone. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to deny. I, I don't mind it, that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I love my superheroes. I love my Spidey. Um, but every now and again, you you want to get something a little bit more. I mean, there's a scene with there's a scene where Snow White is. Uh, doing some uh what is it b b d s m or b s d m um whichever one it is uh with pinocchio who's the mayor of the town i mean it's like that's, you know it's like it's it's kind of it's out there it's out there um yeah um i don't think all of it works uh there is because it's in black and white it's actually kind of hard to differ- differentiate uh the snow white character with another character that shows up like uh she's um she's with a john and some some people burst in and do stuff, and I'm not so sure exactly what's happening. I'm kind of, I'm like, I've, I've, I've scanned those pages numerous times there, and I'm actually, I'm not too sure what's happening to who, and um, so I just think maybe it doesn't. I just think it doesn't really work. Maybe it needs, maybe it needs some shading or something. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need color, but it sort of needs a little bit more clarity. Uh, but the, overall, as an issue, I enjoyed it. Uh, so I recommend it. Untold Tales of Snow White from Undesirable Comics. We'll have a link in the show notes. So let's go back to the films that I know you have seen. Film number mm-hmm. one. The Witch. Of Egypt? Oh, sorry. <laughs> We're not going to talk about any more guys of Egypt. Oh. Uh, the Witch, or the, the V-V-I-T-S-O-T-C-H. Before we go into it, I yep. just need to point out, uh, once again, all the advice I gave, The Witch didn't do it. At the end of the day, just make a good film. Yeah. <laughs> well, is it a good film? Yeah, I liked it. Didn't you? All right. Okay. Did you see it at the cinema? How did you see it? 
Um, I saw it, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, directed for, directed and written by Robert Eggers. Yeah. Um, it's uh, currently got a better score of 83, um, and yeah. it stars uh, a whole bunch of people, but, I mean, noticeably, uh, the daughter is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, and the father and mother are played by Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey. Uh, people will know Kate Dickey from, uh, what's that? Oh, what's that thing she's in? Oh yeah, uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> she's the oh, oh she's, yeah, she's the thing. crazy yeah, yeah, one. She, yeah, she's the crazy one that's breastfeeding her like eleven oh, year old child. Yeah. It's uh, that, yeah. that you know, sort of insignificant little show. Yeah, that show that you, you, might, you, you that? might have heard of it. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's uh, it deals with a a family in 1630s New England um, that uh, a kicked out of their commune and uh, try to have to sort of make out a you know a feeble living. Um, out in the countryside, and uh, a bunch of witches get involved. That's essentially the story. Um, I was very eager to see this because it's, uh, I mean, I love that sort of stuff, and it's very well, it's very well directed, it's very well shot, the acting is incredible, especially uh, the young man that plays Caleb. Um, I'm going to just, I just need to mention his name, because he's Caleb, Harvey Scrimshaw, this dude's going to go a long way. That's a name. Yeah, he is. He is unbelievable. That scene where he get his where he's possessed is, yeah. oh my god! Um, just a funny little tidbit for that. Uh, the scene where he, to get him to act that scene, he's actually he's uh, quite a lot of the dialogue is lifted from actual real sermons and yeah. texts of the time, and that his entire bit is an actual sermon that uh, a person wrote, and it's quite sexual. It talks about um, the embrace of Jesus and. Yeah. Um, but they didn't want, because he was quite young, they didn't want him to know this. And so yeah. they told him it was about soccer, yeah. <laughs> and, and, which blows my mind. Because yeah. <laughs> when you see the actual, the, my God, some of the, when you see the scene. Yeah, um, yeah so overall, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's, I mean, it's beautiful yeah. uh, and uh, very well acted. Um, where I think it fails is that, uh, and this is a spoiler, I'm going to throw a spoiler out there. I know. Um, it, it reveals the witch's existence Far too early, like so. It's like within the first fifteen minutes. But it's called the witch. Why is that a problem? Well, because yeah. the marketing. Actually, I think the marketing sort of. I think the marketing is what's failed it here. Is that the marketing sort of says that it's um, the witches may not be real, and that the the daughter herself gets accused of being a witch, yeah. and whether she may or may not be is is part of the th- yeah. sort of the thing and. It, that's not how the film goes at all. The film, the film, right, fifteen minutes in, you know the witches are existing, and that, that you know that she is not one, and then sort of plays from there. I don't want to spoil any more of it, but I just, I just did. But the review can't work without revealing that. So, and I just, I think that's a mistake. I just, I, I would have personally, I would have not revealed the witches until right at the end, if oh, at all. Oh, it was, a, it was a slow burn film. Yeah, it is very slow. With, yeah, if you don't have those witches up front. Jeez. You reckon? Because I would have... Because if... Just think, sort of picture it, right? You don't have the scene 15 minutes in with Sam. Yeah. And then you've got the... I, I don't mind if it's a like slow burn. And then, but then you but, really hammer home the fact well, that whether she is a witch or not. Well, um, to go back, like, I saw it theatrically. And it's the type of film that I think you need to see theatrically because I think a lot of the emotion and the experience and the atmosphere would get lost at home. Because the first twenty minutes are brutal, yeah. But it's just their everyday life. <laughs> like nothing graphic happens. Yeah. They go hunting, they fight, but like when the witch 
comes into this film, it's a nice relief. Really? Like, oh, like, well, that's the experience I had cinematically. Right. Right. And I, I knew nothing about it. The only thing I knew about it is everyone was talking about it on Facebook. Gotcha. And that it had a witch in it from the title. Right. Yeah, no, like, cinematically, the first 20 minutes are full on. Just yeah. Because, yeah, I think um, a lot of these kind of prairie and wilderness films, what I like about it, um, the father's always competent. Yes. It always hinges on that. So this story is like, what happens if your dad was a little bit shit? Yeah. He's <laughs> well, a bit of a loser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not the worst, <laughs> but uh, you're not quite sure if he's going to help you survive. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you're, so you think it actually works to have it at that point? Yeah, because because um, it's a relief. It's because I, I actually didn't mind. I didn't find it. I mean, it is depressing. Yeah, and it's a slow burn. Yeah, I was cool with that. Yeah, no, no, I think, no. I think I, I think it, it was a bit of relief. It was like, oh, fucking, something else is going to go yeah. on here because I can't hear these people argue again. Uh, the, the the relief for me would have been the very first accusation of her being a witch and yeah. the scene down at the creek where she's yeah. telling her sister that she is a witch. Yeah. I just that that to me would have been enough to yeah. sustain me, and then possibly have the stuff at the end which i don't want to spoil yeah um especially the black phillips stuff which is awesome so all right cool well that's yeah. there you go that's interesting oh those little twins were amazing though oh the twins were cool Th- those twins are evil in real life are they oh, they have to be <laughs> like <laughs> even that all these they're just brilliant actors no, um, these are little shits. <laughs> just... all right and uh last and definitely least is uh triple nine um, directed by John Hillcoat, written by Matt Cook, stars Casey Affleck. I'm not going to get this right. Chitwell Eljavor? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that guy. Um, the guy from Serenity. Uh, Anthony Mackie, the Falcon. Yeah. Oh. And, a bunch, and a bunch of other people. Um, it's, uh, it deals with a... Uh, oh, it's also got, you know, for all you... Uh, for you uh, Breaking Bad people, it's got Aaron Paul. Um, it's got, it's got uh, Gal Gadot. And of course, Daryl Norman Reedus. Yeah, but you know, not for long. Uh, it's, it's, he uh, so it basically deals with a, a and group it's got of Kate Winslet doing another bad European accent. Yeah, actually, I, I saw her in the credits, and I'm like, Kate Winslet. Okay, and then I'm just like, well, where is she? And then yeah. it finally dawned on me. I was like, well, I'm halfway through the film. She has to have been in it by now. Yeah. And it is. It is. I'm yeah. like, my God, she's dead. Like, you're the best, Kate, but come on. Yeah. Drop those accents. It is bad. We still love you with all of our hearts, but <laughs> geez. Yeah, she's not very good. Um, but normally she is, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. Anyway, so yeah, so it's a group and of criminals. It was also two in the road because she was also in the Steve Jobs movie with an accent that came in and out. Yeah. Yeah, what she got nominated for. Well, one for she won yeah. a what is it? A Golden Globe, yeah. undeservedly. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Actually, I, I would love to get you on one of our Academy Awards episodes. I, I haven't watched the Academy Awards in like a zillion years. You uh, know what? But we did. Yeah, Don't give it, a shit. Yeah. Well, that's all. There you go. <laughs> Only if Mad Max is winning, <laughs> then I'm slightly interested. Mad Max was awesome. Yeah. Um, it's a, a group of criminals uh, doing some stuff. Um, they're in in debt to the to the Russian mob. They have to do some crime. They need to do a particular job that's going to take longer than they normally have. Um, and so they decide to uh, do what's called a triple nine, which is the emergency code for officer down. The reason they come up with that is because two of the guys in the gang are actually police. Yeah. Um, and so they they know exactly what's going to happen um, when, you know, the shit hits the fan. So uh, actually three of the guys, sorry, my bad. Um, and, uh, and so the person, the officer that they nominate is, um, Anthony Mackie's new partner. Um, now I gotta say, I actually didn't even, I didn't even finish this movie. Yeah. I, got, I got halfway through and I thought, 
you know what, this is an hour of my life I'm not going to get back. And, and, it's, and it's, not, it's not terrible by any means. I just thought, it's just, I've seen this type of thing a hundred times before. I just don't have any interest. What do you reckon? It, like, I saw what they were going for. They were doing a very, um, you know, very gritty, a very sweaty, a very, uh, sleazy is probably the wrong word, mm. kind of faceless crime film. Uh, and I like that, but they just fundamentally, with the main character, like, I don't know why I should care. Yeah, that's like, it. I just don't care. And it, the film just needed just a little touch more of humanity to it. Like, I, I like kind of, if the film had an emotion, it would be brutalist cement. Yeah. And, but and it is, just needed that little... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. And, and I think I think their mistake was actually, and once again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call spoiler here, um, is Norman Reedus' character gets killed off far too quickly because yeah. he's the only one that actually has any humanity. Yeah. So he's oh, the but, only one that actually has an emo- we actually yeah. have an emotional connection to. Like he doesn't like what they're doing. Yeah. He gets really upset during the shootout scene, yeah. which is actually a very cool scene. But I thought that was the point. Yeah, but, but that's it. And then you're actually yeah. So he so he gets bumped off, and you're like, oh, okay, well now now I care because he's been bumped off. But now you just left with all these yeah. blank slate guys that you don't give a crap about. Um, did you get to the point where they're doing the raid in like the housing commission? Yeah, I got past the raid. Yeah, yeah I got that. That sequence, yeah. I just thought was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it felt genuinely what an actual raid, raid would look like. Would look like, yeah. yeah. And you're completely in it. And, and the problem is, yeah, I, I think sequence and even the robbery at the start, some sequence are brilliant yep. and you get invested and then it's like, uh, character stuff, I don't really, I don't know why I should care. Oh, oh my goodness, another brilliant sequence. Is there uh, more brilliant sequences after that? I got up to, I got up to Aaron Paul um, finding out who the target is going to be. Oh, the end gets very, oh, double, triply cross. Okay, all right. All right I'll, I'll keep watching it then. I'll keep watching it. <laughs> like, I... I saw it after work and was a freebie, uh, but yeah, I was a little bit tired from work. <laughs> okay. And towards the end, yeah, there was too much, but I'm really on the inside-outside triple agent. Okay. All right. Well, uh, this has been an absolutely brilliant episode. Let's uh, finish up with coming soon and uh, get it done, get it taken care of. So coming up in Australian cinemas on May 5th, we get Bad Neighbours 2. Don't give a rat's ass. Uh, what, you reckon? No. Yeah, who cares? I haven't seen Bad Neighbours You're very diplomatic about it. I like it. Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, which is Meryl Streep. Uh, stars as Florence Foster Jenkins, barely enough. That's Meryl Streep. New York socialite. That's uh, the greatest that, actress of our generation. That has palace written all over it. It... Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, Mia Madre, an Italian drama about a director trying to make a film while dealing with both personal and professional chaos. That has Nova written all over it. <laughs> the Man Who Knew Infinity, uh, Dev Patel from the Best Mar- Exotic Marigold Hotel. And uh, that's it for May 5th. Not the greatest. <laughs> that's a slow week. <laughs> but uh, that's let's, it. Let's be honest. Everyone's catching up with Civil War. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It. Which uh, we uh, we cover Civil War in our next episode. So we have, we have actually already seen it now, but we ca- we saw it with uh, Richo. So we'll talk about it next episode. Look forward to that. But uh, Les, awesome man. Well, thank you. We finally got you on, <laughs> and uh, it was as awesome as I thought it was going to be. Thank you, dude. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that's it from me and the crew. Or the crewette. Crystal. That's a bit sexist, dude. Is, is that sexist? That's very sexist. That is very sexist. Why? 
cruises are non-gender determined. You just genderized it. it. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm ashamed of myself. All right. Crew. Crystal. Uh, you've done it now. <laughs> Divorce. <laughs> and Liz. Yay. What? <laughs> Thank you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.